I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8 this evening. I want to teach on something that uh, is certainly not new. We probably teach on uh, this aspect of healing uh, as much uh, as much as or more than perhaps uh, any other uh, aspect of, of healing, and that is God's will is healing. Now, in Matthew chapter 8, it tells us of uh, a certain man that came to Jesus. We'll start reading in verse uh, verse 1. It says, When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, folks, it's, uh, it's an amazing thing to me. There, there, without question, and this is not just true in, uh, in our own personal experience, the experience of our church, this has been true from, uh, um, well, maybe it's from the time that Jesus was here on the earth, um, certainly from the beginning of the church. The number one obstacle that people have, the number one question, the number one, um, I don't know, criticism, uh, maybe that's not a good way to say it. But anyway, the, the, the greatest obstacle uh, is, is without a doubt the question of will God heal me? Most everybody that's a Christian believes the Bible where it says with God all things are possible. And so for that reason, very few people question God's power to heal. Well, God can do anything. He's God, and so he can do anything. So sure, yeah, God could heal me if he wanted to. And it's that if he wanted to or if he will or, you know, regarding the question regarding his will, however you want to ask it, it's the question regarding his will that is the number one objection to healing in the body of Christ. Now, the, the world doesn't have much to say about it. The world doesn't know anything about God one way or the other. But the, as far as the church is concerned, now, as I said, this is not new to us. It's not just specific to us uh, as a, or, or our day. This was uh, something that back during the healing revival, some of the uh, the greatest... Um, those who were the greatest, the most greatly used, maybe is a better way to say it, uh, of God in, in healing miracles. They said the same thing. I, I, you can get F.F. Uh, F. Bosworth's book, Christ the Healer, and it's a classic, and I would recommend that you get it and make it a part of your library and always keep a copy of that. Um, that's the thing that he said. He said that in his uh, healing campaigns and, and the, the tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people that he was healed, that were healed in his ministry, and the way that God used him, he said the number one objection that people have, the number one obstacle, the number one thing you're going to have to overcome is the idea that it might not be God's will to heal. Yet in Jesus' ministry, this is the only example we've got of somebody that asked that question. Only one. That's fascinating to me. Because that is the number one thing today. You don't find people questioning uh, his power. You have find people questioning his will. Yet in Jesus' day, it seemed to be just the other way around. This is the only guy that questions his will. He said, if you will, you can. He believed in the power of God. That seems to be exactly the same thing that people do today. Yet this is the only one in Jesus' ministry. If you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand. Now in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 1 and verse 40, it says that Jesus moved with compassion immediately, reached out and touched him. It adds a little bit. This guy touched Jesus' heart. The question of, will God heal me, touched Jesus' heart. It moved him with compassion. And immediately he reached forth and touched his hand, or touched him, saying, I will be thou clean, and, the, and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Now, folks, John said, uh, John, who wrote the, the gospel and uh, that bears his name, as well as uh, the book of Revelation, John was one of the closest ones to Jesus. Peter, James, Peter, James, John's brother, and John himself were the, the ones that made up Jesus' inner circle. And John said that if everything Jesus said and did was written down, the world itself couldn't contain the books. 
That tells me that there was a lot of things that happened that we don't have record of in the four Gospels. Had to be. Well, then why do we have record of what we have? All four of these gospel accounts of Jesus' earthly ministry were inspired by the Holy Ghost, weren't they? Well, if so, then that means the Holy Ghost picked and chose among all the works that Jesus did, any number of things that he did to give us what we can uh, assume, I certainly assume, to be an accurate and complete picture of Jesus' healing ministry and his, er his earthly ministry included his healing ministry. In other words... It seems to me that the Holy Ghost saw fit to paint the complete picture of Jesus' healing ministry by the examples that we have. And this is the only one of these types of examples that are given to us. Why would that be? If the Holy Ghost knew that it was going to be such an issue today, why wouldn't he give us 50 examples of this? Why wouldn't he show us where Jesus is over and over and over again? Finally, at the point of exasperation, I keep telling you, I will be clean. Why not? Because it would have been the same story again and again and again. When Jesus moved with compassion, reached forth to touch this guy, he said once and for all, he answered once and for all, I will be thou clean. Now, the Bible says God's no respecter of persons. So I know a lot of times, and I know the way the devil works against me, he works against you as well. And so a lot of times the devil will come and sit on your shoulder and say, well, yeah, it might have worked that way for this guy, but that doesn't mean it's going to work this way for you. Yet the Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. So that means if God wills for this guy to be healed and doesn't will for you to be healed, then the Bible is a lie. Now, people get upset when I talk like this because they think, oh, that's blasphemous to, to, to even suggest that the Bible is a lie. Well, folks, it's either a truth or a lie. It's either the truth or it is a lie. There is no middle ground. It's not partly true and partly false. It's either completely true or else it's not inspired by the Holy Ghost, which means it's a whole lie. It's just that simple. And if you're having a hard time with that, when you get to heaven, just tell the Lord that I said that's the way it worked, and he'll understand. Because I'm telling you by the Holy Ghost, it is the inspired word of God, which means it's got to be completely 100% true and accurate, or else none of it can be relied on. If there is any error in it whatsoever, then it can't be inspired by God. If there is the smallest part of it that's not true, then it can't be inspired by God because God's not hit and miss on things. He's not true sometimes and a liar other times. Anything that he says has to be the absolute truth or else it's not him. Amen? So when the Bible says God is no respecter of persons, that means he doesn't have a different plan for one person's healing than he has for another person's healing. He can't. It's impossible. Now, he may have a different plan for your life than he has for my, my life, but the same things belong to us in Christ Jesus as we pursue whatever that individual plan God has for us. In other words, you may be called to be a mechanic and I may be called to be a pastor, but the same salvation belongs to you as belongs to me. The same forgiveness of sins belongs to us both. The same healing belongs to us both. The same chastisement of our peace was paid by the price, by the works of Jesus for both of us. He doesn't want more for me than he wants for you in Christ Jesus. The same things belong to both of us. Now, the Bible says that Jesus healed to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. We're right here in Matthew chapter 8. Let's read a little bit further into this. Notice it says in verse 16, it says, When the evening was come, they brought unto Jesus many that were possessed with devils. I don't know how many he is, but that sounds like more than a few. 
They brought in many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. He didn't heal a few. He didn't pick and choose. He healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled. Here's why he did it. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now, folks, this is a reference to Isaiah chapter 53. So let's look back to Isaiah chapter 53 and see what it really says. Hold your finger here in Matthew chapter 8 because we're coming back. But Isaiah chapter 53 is recognized in throughout church circles. Every theological group or denominational group recognizes that the 53rd chapter of Isaiah is called the Messianic chapter. Because everything in chapter 53 is talking about what the Messiah, what the Christ would do. Now I say would do because when the day that Isaiah wrote it, Jesus hadn't yet come. They didn't know who Jesus was going to be. They didn't know how he was going to operate at least the totality of how he was going to operate. They didn't know when he was coming, but they did know by the Holy Ghost certain things that he would do. Now, notice some of the things that the Bible says in Isaiah 53 that he would do. Let's start reading in verse... uh, Well, let's start reading in verse 1. Who has believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Now, folks, there's a mouthful in that verse right there because it's saying the ones that are going to see the benefits, the realization, the power of what the Lord will do is the one that meets the criteria of the first phrase, and that is to believe the report. In other words, he's saying believing the word causes these results in your life. It will realize the benefits of what Jesus accomplished, which are going to be described here in the 53rd chapter. Who has believed our report? And to whom, the ones that believe his report, are the whom's, that the arm of the Lord will be revealed to. For he shall grow up before him, Jesus shall grow up before his father, as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. The dry ground is talking about Israel, certainly. Notice the the next phrase. It says, he has no form nor comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. You know what that means? That means Jesus was an average-looking guy. Now, that's not the way I would. If I was God, I wouldn't have sent Jesus to the earth that way. I would have made him look in such a manner, I, I don't know, I would have had him glow or something. Maybe you've been by nuclear plants or power plants or stuff like that. They go, bruh, bruh, bruh. I would have had him do something like that so everybody would have known there's power there. That's just me. That's not what God did. God sent his son to the earth looking like an average guy. Man, I would have had him looking like the movie star of the day. I would have had everybody looking at him and saying, wow, there's got to be something about him. But that's not what God wanted people to see in Jesus. They wanted him to, they wanted people to see. He wanted people to see what was coming from the inside of Jesus and not just the way that he looked on the outside. Verse three. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The word sorrows is the word pain. The word grief is the word sickness. Now you've really got to ask yourself the question since the word uh, translated sorrow is translated, it's the word makab in the, uh, uh, in the Hebrew. And the word griefs, translated griefs, is the word koli in the Hebrew. Every other place where these words are translated, or not, maybe not every place, but 99% of every time that these words are used, they're translated sickness and pains. The first word for pain, makab, is translated pains, and the other word is translated sickness. Why in the world did the translators not translate it that way here? I hate to judge somebody's motives and say that they were insincere, 
but they really had to stretch to, to get away from pains and sickness. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of pains and acquainted with sickness. Notice the relationship that Jesus is going to have to sickness in some form. If we stop reading right here, we don't know what that means, but he's going to describe it. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. You know what that means? That means we didn't know who he was when he was doing what he did. Verse 4. Well, what is he going to do, Isaiah? Surely he has borne our griefs. Here's the word sickness. Surely he has borne our sickness and carried our sorrows or pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. Now, folks, of all the things the Bible is going to say, and it's going to tell us a little bit further down, it's going to tell us about how he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The forgiveness of sins was part of what the work Jesus did, and that's what the church focuses on, you know, the vast majority of the times. Of all the things that the Bible says Jesus does, there is one and only one time in the Messianic chapter that the word surely is used. And it has to do with sickness. Now, this is kind of interesting to me, too, because the way the church looks at it is just the way around, other way around. They look at it like, surely he has forgiven our sins. Well, we don't know about sickness. You know, sometimes God wants some people to be healed. Sometimes he doesn't want other people to heal. But surely he has forgiven our sickness or forgiven our, uh, our sins. That's not what the Bible says. It says, surely he has borne our sickness and carried our pains. Surely he has done that. No question about it. Surely he has carried our sickness or borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Surely. Verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. First word said so far about sins. He's talked about sicknesses twice. He's talked about Jesus' acquaintance and his work with sickness twice before sin is ever mentioned in the Messianic chapter. Now, I know the church has it just the other way around. I know the church focuses on sickness and forgiveness of sins. I'm sorry, they focus on sins, the forgiveness of sins and so forth, and sickness becomes a side issue for most of the church world. I get that. I understand that. But I want somebody to explain to me why when the Bible puts it in just the other form. Now, this is where some people get religious and they say, oh, Pastor Mike, are you saying that being healed of sickness is more important than the forgiveness of sins? No. What I'm saying is God knew you were going to fight about sickness, and so he put sickness first. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace, this word peace is the word shalom, is translated prosperity in many other places in the Old Testament. And that's what it's talking about. It's talking about well-being in every area of life. He's talk- God didn't leave out in the work of Jesus. God didn't leave out your provision, your material or financial provision. Jesus paid a price for that too. And why wouldn't he? Because that's part of what was lost in the Garden of Eden. You remember part of the curse that came upon the earth or came upon the man, or became, came upon Adam, was he said, from this point forward, the earth is going to yield fruit to you only by the sweat of your brow, which tells me that it yielded fruit in some other way prior to that point in time. Now, I don't know what that way was. Maybe, maybe Adam spoke to the trees and they produced fruit. I know that sounds far-fetched to us, but it's certainly possible. But whatever it was, now there's a change of condition. Once sin entered into the scene, once spiritual death came upon the earth, mankind and the earth, now there's a difference, there's a change in condition. 
And now the earth is going to produce only through manual, physical, hard labor. So there's a curse that was placed upon mankind as a result of their sins that wasn't there before. So Jesus, if he's going to pay the totality, if he's going to pay for the whole price for spiritual death, if he's going to pay the whole ticket, that means he's got to do something to take care of that part of it as well. And he did. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. With his stripes, we are healed. Skip down with me to verse 10. Here's still more about the Messiah. It says, he, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Notice the bruise is the same thing that's talked about in verse 5. By his stripes, we are healed. It's the same word. Stripes and bruise are the same word in the, in the Hebrew. By his bruise, we are healed, literally, in verse 5. Now, in verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. God had a plan in that which provided healing for you and me. The bruising of Jesus. Yet it pleased God to bruise him. What did he do when Jesus was bruised? What did he do when he was taking stripes upon his back? What happened? He, God, has put him to grief. This word in the, in the Hebrew language literally means he hath made him sick or sickness. Same word grief is in the, in verses uh, three and four. Griefs means sickness. He hath made him sickness. Oh, wait a minute. Whoa. How could God make Jesus sickness the same way he made him sin? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God has made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is telling us, Paul told us in the New Testament, that exactly the same, the same operation that God performed upon Jesus on the cross to make him sick or to make him sin in order for us to be made righteous, the Old Testament tells us God performed on him to make him sickness so that we could be made healed or whole. It's an amazing thing to me how so many people will argue against healing. You can't find many things in the Bible that are more clear. Now, let's read verse 5 again. Or verses 4 and 5 together. Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we were healed. Before we go back to Matthew chapter 8, I want you to notice verse 5. Who is authorized to take out the healing part? Same verse of Scripture says that the price Jesus paid for sick for sin was the price he paid for sickness. Who's authorized to say only the sin part belongs to us now? I know a lot of preachers do, but who authorized that? At what point did Jesus appear to them in front of a whole bunch of people so there could be no doubt about it and say, from this point forward, you're authorized to take away part of what Jesus did on the cross and just talk about sins? i got to tell you something, folks. I would hate to stand before the Lord and have him ask me, who authorized you to say that the sickness part doesn't belong to us now? Because they all come from the same verse. You cannot literally 
logically or in good conscience say that only the sin, the forgiveness of sins part belongs to us because both the sins, the price paid for sins and the price paid for sickness come out of exactly the same verse. You can't do it. I know a lot of people do. But you can't do it. So surely, verse 4, surely he has borne our sickness and carried our pains. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Who's we? What does he mean when he says we are healed? Well, he's got to mean the same people that he says we have been forgiven of our sins. Right? He was wounded for our transgressions. The hour has to be the same as the we, doesn't it? He was bruised for our iniquities. The, the people he's talking about included in our uh, our iniquities and our transgressions have got to be the we that he's talking about are healed, doesn't it? Otherwise, he'd have to say they. If sins belongs to us, but, sickness, but the price for sickness does not, healing does not belong to us, then the, then the, the prophet would have to have been. I mean, just just good common sense. The prophet would have had to says had to say our transgressions and our iniquities have been paid for, but their healing belongs to them, meaning only the ones that lived during Jesus' day. But he didn't. He said our and we, and they've got to be the same group of people. Back to Matthew chapter 8. Let's start in verse 16 again. When the evening was come... They brought unto Jesus many that were possessed with devils and cast out, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. He healed all that were sick. He healed all, not part, not some, not most. He healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. What is that? That's Isaiah 53, 4. Do you realize what Matthew 8.17 is? Matthew 8.17 is a Holy Ghost commentary. You see people all the time wanting to get Matthew Henry's commentary or Adam Clark's commentary or somebody's commentary, some famous preacher's commentary. What do they say about what this verse means? This is the Holy Ghost telling you what Isaiah 53.4 means. Because he knew there would be a lot of preacher's commentaries that would try to take healing away from Isaiah 53.4. For me... Matthew 8.17 is proof positive that God knew what the future would hold for the modern day church. And to head off any controversy, and it hasn't, but it should, to provide for the end of any and all controversy on the subject of healing, the Holy Ghost said, this is what fulfills Isaiah 53.4. This is what the fulfillment of Isaiah 53.4 looks like. This is what Isaiah 53.4 in action looks like. Jesus healed all that were sick. What does Isaiah 53.4 mean? Surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains. It means, and he healed them all. That's what Isaiah 53.4 means. He healed them all. Exodus 15 verse 26 when Isaiah, when, uh, what's her name? Israel. When Israel came out of Egypt, they come to a place where the water was poisonous. It was, the Bible says bitter, but that's what it means. They couldn't drink it. It was undrinkable. And God gives Moses a plan. He shows him what to do. He says, cast a tree into the waters. Cut down a tree. This tree was the same tree that Jesus crucified on. It's a type of the tree. Um, Galatians 3 says, cursed is everyone that hangeth upon a tree. 
So it speaks to the sacrifice of the crucifixion of Jesus. He cast this tree into the waters, which is a type of Jesus coming to the earth and sacrificing himself for mankind. And it says that it made the water sweet. And God said this, I said in uh, Exodus 15, verse 26, God said this. He said, if you will hearken diligently unto my voice, if you will keep my commandments and keep my statutes, none of the diseases that come upon the world will come upon thee because I am the Lord that healeth thee. Who has the authority to change God's name? God said, my name is, I am Jehovah Rapha. That means I am the Lord that healeth thee. Who has the authority to change his name? Who has the authority to say that God was the God that healed them, but that was just Israel and that was just when Jesus was here on the earth and that's not the way it is today? Who has that right? Seriously, who has that right? Nobody tries to change any of God's other names. Why that one? Why that one? Turn with me over to John chapter 5. Folks, forgive me if I get a little testy on this stuff. I feel like I'm, instead of preaching, I feel like I'm debating. And in case somebody has these thoughts, then I guess I am debating with your thoughts. But I'm not mad at anybody. Well, I'm not mad at most people. I, for the life of me, do not understand how somebody could stand up and say healing is not for us today. I can't understand somebody standing up and saying, I don't, un- uh, you know, you have to talk to somebody else. I just don't know. I've got things I don't understand. My denomination has taught me otherwise. I can understand anybody saying any number of those things, but to come up and say healing does not belong to us today, I don't get it. Because you have to do the things that we've talked about. You've got to change God's word. You've got to change God's name. And who has God given that authority to? Who has he authorized to do either one of those things? John chapter 5 says after this, beginning verse 1, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, that means house of mercy, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. And when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been in that now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? I I love the fact that the first thing Jesus looked for was faith. Will you be made whole? He didn't show up and say, This is your lucky day. The first thing he did was he searched for faith. Will you be made whole? He's looking for the man's will concerning his healing, which is what faith is. It's an expression of your will concerning healing. The impotent man answered and said, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but why I'm coming down, another steps down before me. You know the only thing this guy did get right? The only thing this guy did get right is, I need somebody's help. Thank God Jesus was his help. Jesus said unto him, verse 8, Rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked and on the same day was the Sabbath. Now you know the rest of the story how the Jews got all bent out of shape because Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Notice what Jesus said when they questioned him about this. 
in verse 17. This is Jesus' answer for why he healed on the Sabbath day. He said, my father worketh hitherto, and I work. Now, probably the most overlooked word in this sentence, in this, in this scripture, is the word hitherto. And it may be the most important thing for us to know. Because the word hitherto means even now. The Jews say, can't work on the Sabbath day. Jesus said about the Sabbath day, my father works even now and I work. In other words, he's saying, God didn't take Sunday off. You may, but don't get upset with me because I'm doing the will of my father and he works on Sundays, which was Saturday in their case. Notice what else he said. Let's skip down a little bit in verse 30. Jesus is speaking to the Jews about him, his position with God the Father. He said, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which sent me. What does that mean? That means healing the impotent man in chapter 5 was the will of God. So we see a fella. In Matthew chapter 8, that says, I believe you can heal me, I just don't know if you will. And Jesus is immediately moved with compassion, touches him, and the guy's cleansed. Now we see another guy that the Bible tells us he's without help, he's without hope. There's no way he can be the first one into the water when it's troubled. And so he says to Jesus, this is hopeless unless I have somebody to do for me what I can't do. And Jesus says, rise, take up your bed and walk. In other words, Jesus said, I fit that bill. Rise, take up your bed and walk. Why? Because it was the will of God for this man to be healed. Notice chapter 6. Jesus is going to say some more things about this. Chapter 6, he goes even further. In verse 38, he said, For I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Now he's not talking specifically about the case in John chapter 5. He's just speaking generally about why God sent him to the earth. Now think about what that means. That means everybody that was healed in Jesus' ministry were healed because of the will of God for healing. That means when Matthew 8, 17 says, and he healed all that were sick, it means all being healed was the will of God. Let's look at some other scriptures to see what this means. Look with me over to Matthew chapter, uh, uh, look at Matthew chapter 9. We'll start there. We could go anywhere with this, I guess. But let's go back to Matthew chapter 9. Some people will say, oh, no, that's not the way it works, Pastor Mike. See, Jesus did healing works here on the earth, but when his healing, when he, when he went to the cross and when he was raised from the dead, those healing works stopped. The work of Jesus on the earth did not carry forward past the resurrection. He came to the earth for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to be sacrificed on the cross, to shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins, and his ministry on the earth does not carry forward from the resurrection. You ever heard anybody say that? That's one of the main arguments from some denominations. Oh, really? Matthew chapter 9. And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy. I love that phrase. It doesn't say sick with the palsy. It says sick of the palsy. If you've been sick with anything for any period of time, you get sick of whatever you're sick with. And, and honestly, that's an important component where faith is concerned. If you're willing to keep it, God will let you. But when you get sick of it, things happen. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. Uh Uh-oh. 
If the work of Jesus here on the earth, if the ministry of Jesus here on the earth does not carry forward from the cross, from the resurrection, this says that the forgiveness of sins was part of Jesus' ministry here on the earth. Oops. If we're to say that the work of Jesus concerning the forgiveness of sins, which clearly the Bible states took place even while he was here on the earth, if we're to say that that carries forward from the cross, then we have no legal ground, we have no logical argument whatsoever to say that his healing ministry here on the earth does not carry forward from the cross too. None whatsoever. Now, if you're going to say that the work of Jesus was finished on the cross and that's it, nothing carries forward, then that means neither forgiveness of sins nor healing carries forward from the cross. If that's the case, then why did James, after the crucifixion and the resurrection, say, is any sick among the church? Here's what you do. Let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith shall heal the sick. James must not have gotten the memo. Jesus said unto the the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. Behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their hearts. Folks, let me show you something. Here's a a manifestation of the Holy Ghost that was never identified. Jesus did not say, Oh, the Holy Ghost shows me something. He did not say, Wait a minute, there's somebody here that's thinking this. Jesus just knew, so he answered it. It's very seldom in the Bible. Now, I know the church world operates differently. But it's very seldom in the Bible that, that a manifestation of the Spirit is drawn, that attention is drawn to it in itself. But rather, it just operates and the fruits are identified and, and revealed before everybody. We think words of knowledge are, uh, have to be identified. That's what this is. This is a word of knowledge in operation, and Jesus never says a word about it being a word of knowledge. We think whenever somebody prophesies, they have to say, thus saith the Lord. And there's only one place in the book of Acts where anybody does say, thus saith the Lord. That was Agabus, the prophet, who said, this is what the Holy Ghost is saying. That's the only time you can find it operating in that manner. Yet we in the modern day church seem to have this idea that you got to draw attention to everything. Personally, this is just my opinion. Personally, I think it works less frequently when you draw attention to it. Because really what you're drawing attention to is God's using me. Here's what God has shown me. And that, I've never found that to work real well. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why, wherefore think you evil in your hearts? For whether it's easier to say your sins be forgiven you or to say arise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins, Then he said to the sick of the palsy, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. What is he saying? He's saying the same power that forgives sins is the power that heals. It's not different power. It's the same. You know I've got power to heal. You've heard about that. This is the proof. Him getting up, him being healed, is the proof that I also have power to forgive sins. Well, is it a different power? No, absolutely not. Isaiah 53, 5 just showed us that. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes were healed. All four things were taken, took place, and were paid for by one work of Jesus on the cross, and that was shedding the blood. Same thing. It's not a different work. It's not a different power. There's not a saving power and a healing power. 
It's all part of what we call salvation, what the Bible calls salvation. Healing is part of salvation. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. We'll start reading in verse 29. And Jesus departed from thence and came nigh unto the Sea of Galilee and went up into a mountain and sat down there. And great multitudes came to him. Now, how many is a great multitude? However many that is, multiply it numerous times because it says great multitudes. What would that mean to you? I, I, I mean, there's no way that we can know if you're right or I'm right or anybody else is right. But when it says great multitudes, that says to me thousands. We know that was certainly possible, and it certainly happened to Jesus' ministry because there were 5,000 men beside the women and children that he multiplied the loaves and the fishes for. So great multitudes tells me thousands. The 5,000 men, we've said this before, but if it's anything, if church was anything in their day like it is our day, usually the women and the children outnumber the men three to one. So you could have anywhere 10,000, 15,000, maybe upwards of 20,000 people. In that one place where Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fishes. Well, is it unreasonable to think that great multitudes would be numbers like that too? Folks, I want you to see God didn't do these things in a closet somewhere. He did these things out in front of everybody for everybody to see. And great multitudes came to him. Having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others... And he cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. Who did he heal? He healed them. Does that mean most of them? Does that mean some of them? Does that mean one or two? What does that mean? When it says he healed them, the grammatical structure of the sentence has to mean, from the Greek language, it has to mean everybody that was referred to in that sentence had to be included in the them that were healed. It's the same thing as Matthew 8, 16, and he healed them all. It's exactly the same thing. And he healed them. Now, who did he heal? Remember, Jesus said, I came not down from the heaven to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Everything Jesus did was the will of, Je- was the will of God the Father, or else Jesus was an unworthy sacrifice. If Jesus did not finish his job, if he, was, if he failed in any point whatsoever, if there was anything that he did on his own separate from the will of God or contrary to the will of God, then that means that he was not a worthy sacrifice and you're not saved and neither am I. Well, guess what? I know I'm saved, which means he got the job done. Right? So what does that mean? That means everything Jesus did here on the earth, everything that's identified here was the will of God. What is it that we can identify as the will of God? It's the will of God for the, for, uh, let's go through the list. It's the will of God for the lame to be healed. It's the will of God for the blind to be healed. It's the will of God for the dumb to be healed. I assume that means can't talk. You'll get that later on. It's the will of God for the maimed to be healed. This one blows me away. It's the will of God to replace body parts. Then it says many others. I don't know what many others means, but it's the will of God for them to be healed too. I guess that means anything that hadn't been identified on the list so far, it's the will of God for them as well. And that would certainly fit 
the fact that Jesus was wounded for our tra- uh, the, the fact that Jesus was uh, um, what am I trying to say? Bore our sicknesses and carried our pains. Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. That would fit, wouldn't it? Insomuch, verse 31, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to behold, the lame to walk, and the blind to see. What are we to know about this? It's the will of God for every one of those people to be healed. It's the will of God to demonstrate his power for the lame to be healed, for the blind to see, for the dumb to talk, for the maimed to be restored, and anybody else that's sick for them to be healed too. In case I left anybody out. Now that's what the Bible says. Am I reading something into it that's not there? I know I'm taking it apart and looking at it individually where people usually just kind of gloss over it and kind of make it a one-time thing. But am I adding anything to the Scripture? I'm combining Scriptures. I'm combining different things that Jesus said in different places and different things that the Bible says about Jesus' ministry from different uh, different gospel accounts. But it, doesn't it all have to be true? If it's the, if it's the inspira- inspired Word of God, doesn't it have to still be true? Jesus said everything he did, he did because it was the will of the Father. Jesus said further about his works. He said, the works that I do, I'm only doing what I see my Father do. That means this is the picture of God. The picture of God is to heal the blind, to heal the lame, to heal the, to restore the maimed, to heal the dumb. It seems like I'm missing somebody. Whatever else is on the list. It's the will of God to demonstrate his power for those individuals to be healed, or else the Bible is a lie. Okay, if you're not lame, if you're not blind, if you don't have a missing body part, if you're not one of the other things that are listed here, then that would put you in the condition or the, the, the category of many others then, would it? So it's just as much the will of God for you to be healed, whatever your situation is, as for any of these that are specifically identified. Or else the Bible's a lie. Has to be. Furthermore, and this is one that always gets the denominational people. Remember what Jesus said? Let me turn back. Uh, I'm not sure what chapter it is. I think it's chapter 5 or 6 of Matthew. Let me see if I can find it. It's Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said this, beginning in verse 9, After this manner therefore pray ye. This is what's called the Lord's Prayer. Jesus didn't say this is my prayer. He said this is a prayer for you to pray until I go to the Father. So it was really it really should be called the disciples' prayer, but it's not. It's called the Lord's Prayer. But everybody knows what it says. After this manner, pray, therefore pray you. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, is there any possibility, any possibility, that Jesus told them to pray for something that is contrary to the will of God? It's impossible. It's impossible. This, Therefore, this prayer has to be an example. Maybe not a complete example. Now we know because now we pray in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus isn't in this prayer. 
So that prayer is not uh, good for us unless we adapt it with further information, things that happened after this point in time. But at least at their point in time, it has to be a complete picture of the will of God for them to pray. Right? And what did he say to pray for? He said to pray that the will of God would be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Now, we're talking about healing, so let's ask the question, what's the will of God concerning healing in heaven? Is there any sickness in heaven? Then Jesus is saying that they, the disciples, should pray that the will of God in every area, including healing and sickness, should be done here on the earth just like it is in heaven. That would mean, therefore, for the people of God that they be free from sickness because that's exactly the way it's going to be when we get to heaven. Bet you didn't know the healing was in the Lord's Prayer, did you? But it is. It is. What does it tell us? It tells us that God's will is for his people to be free from sickness. And that's why he sent Jesus to begin with. That's why he sent him to the earth to heal the sick, to show that it was the beginning of the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. That's why he caused him to be bruised. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Isaiah 53.10 says he has made him to be sickness, to pay the price once and for all. Folks, anyway, you come at this, it's the will of God for every person on the planet to be healed because Jesus paid for it. Now, is every person on the planet going to be healed? Nope. Not any more than every person on the planet is going to be saved. Yet Jesus died for their salvation. I had one guy come up to me one time just mad as a wet hen. He said, well, I want you to explain something to me. I said, well, I will if I can. He said, if it's the will of God for everybody to be healed, then why isn't everybody healed? I said, I'll be glad to answer your question if you'll answer one for me first. He said, go ahead. I said, why, since Jesus died for the sins of the world, will not everybody be saved? Well, he came to a sputtering halt. Well, well, that's different. I said, no, it's not. Same price, same blood of Jesus was paid. Well, not everybody's going to receive. Ding, 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 ding. Is that God's fault? Is it going to be God's fault for anybody to go to hell? Nope. The people that wind up in hell will be only those that reject the free gift of salvation that Jesus paid for. That means the only people that will fail to receive their healing are those that are going to be, will be those who reject the free gift of healing that Jesus paid for. It's still received by faith. But that doesn't change the fact that it's the will of God for every person to be healed. And Jesus paid for it to be so. Well, I wish I could get this through people's thinking. Because you can see, you can see so many people that just bounces off of the, the They acknowledge it intellectually. They say, yeah, yeah that's right, yeah. Yeah, we know, Pastor Mike, we knew that before you started preaching. We've heard you say that before. Yep, we know. We know. But it's not mental assent that causes it to happen. It's not agreeing intellectually that causes it to be real. When the leper asked Jesus in Matthew 8, remember where we started there? When the leper came to Jesus and said, if you will, you can heal me. I know you can. 
I just don't know if you will. Jesus immediately moved with compassion and touched him. Said, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. When it dawns on us, not here, but here. Then there's nothing that can stop the power of God from bringing healing to you. Do you know the devil's not big enough and he's not strong enough to keep somebody from getting saved? All they have to do is decide. I believe the Bible's true. They can have all kinds of questions. They can say, I don't know how this new birth thing's going to work. I don't understand. I know my aunt used to believe in Jesus. Now she doesn't anymore, and I don't know how that works. But I'm just going to accept the word of God to be true that Jesus died for my sins. Once you make that decision, there is not enough power in hell for him to stop you from being saved. Well, then why would we think that he has enough power to stop you from being healed? It's part of the same package of salvation. Same determination. Now, after you get saved, any of you ever missed it after you got saved? Anybody ever stumbled and fell into sin? Well, no, not you. What do you know stories of people that have? Right? What does that do? Well, after somebody has freshly, newly been born again, it causes them to question, well, did I get saved for real? If I had really gotten saved, would I have done this thing and slipped up again? And they have to come to an understanding. Yeah, it doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. It just means you've still got some work to do to bring your flesh under control. Right? Well, why isn't it the same way with healing? It is the same way with healing. You can receive your healing by faith and have the same pain that you had before you ever prayed. And the devil will come and say, yeah, it's not working. You didn't really get it. And that's just like the new Christian falling and stumbling over his flesh. All it takes is a little bit of knowledge to say, no, no, that's not the way it works, Mr. Devil. I received it. It's true because Jesus paid for it. Just because I still have a pain, just because I still have a circumstance, just because the doctor says he can't tell a difference, doesn't mean it's not working. Doesn't mean that I'm not healed. I'm going to read Matthew 15 again. I love this. This just thrills me. Maybe that's what I ought to do. Instead of preaching tonight, maybe I ought to just start it off reading this and just keep reading it over and over and over again until it sunk in. And great multitudes, verse 30, great multitudes came unto him, having with them those that were lame, blind, dumb, maimed, and many others, and cast them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them, insomuch that the multitude wondered when they saw the dumb to speak, the maimed to be whole, and the lame to walk, and the blind to see. And they glorified the God of Israel. Folks, the Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means if he did it when he was here on the earth, he'll do it now. And I'll go even further than that. If Jesus would only do it when he was here on the earth and won't do it now, I'm calling foul. I feel cheated. Because Jesus said to his disciples, and therefore you and me, he said the works that he did, we will do also, and even greater works than these will he do, will we do, because he went to the Father. So if this was just stuff in a, in a different time period, if this was stuff in a different day or a different generation, and if it's not for today, I feel gypped. No, but thank God Jesus is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray. Let's see what God would have us do. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank your word is true. We thank you, Father, that it is the will of God today 
to heal the lame, the blind, the maimed, and all those others that are sick, every other sickness and every other disease. We thank you, Father, that just as you willed for them to be healed, you willed for those to be healed today. Thank you, Father, that you still want all to be healed. And all it takes is simple faith on our part. Not a hard thing, not a difficult thing, just accepting. We believe your word's true, Father. The Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for giving us direction to minister healing to the sick tonight. Ah, there it is. Okay. Who's here tonight that you want to receive your healing? Raise your hand. All right, if you will, stand up right where you are. For those of you in the congregation, you agree with us. If this was you that needed healing, you'd want other people to help you, wouldn't you? Well, let's help each other. I want everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes and listen to the prayer that I pray and let your heart agree with it. Especially those of you that are standing, but also everybody else too. No spectators. Participants, please. Lord Jesus, you are the healer. You know that we have no power of ourselves. But you have all power, for all power in heaven and earth was given unto you. Therefore, we call upon the power of God, the same power that healed the lame, made them to walk, the same power that opened blind eyes, the same power that restored the maimed, the same power that healed every sickness and every disease among the people, the same power that healed them all to show the reality of Isaiah 53, 4. We call upon that power. Now, Lord Jesus, you said that whatever we asked, called for or required in your name, you'd do it. We require healing for each of these individuals that are standing tonight. We require and call for the power of God to heal each and every one in the name of Jesus. Therefore, we thank you now, Father, that these are healed by faith, that the healing power of God comes down upon each and every one of them to restore them to divine health, to drive out sickness and disease, to correct whatever situation needs to be corrected. In the name of Jesus, we call for that power of God to be in evidence in these bodies. In the name of Jesus. Now let's lift our hands and thank God for his healing power. Oh, thank you, Father, for doing the work. Thank you, Father, for the precious plan of redemption. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're still the healer and you will forever be the healer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that your power is at work in these these people right now 
to effect a healing and a cure in them from the top of their head to their soles of their feet. In the name of Jesus, we receive the healing power of God. Oh, thank you, Father, that it's your will. We know that we prayed according to your will. You've heard us, and it's at work even now. By faith, in the precious and holy name of Jesus. We bless you, Lord. We thank you for your healing mercy. We thank you for your healing work. We thank you, Father. It's so good to be healed. It's so good to be restored. It's so good to be delivered. It's so good to be healed. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. There's healing in the name of Jesus. That healing belongs to us. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord Jesus. The healing works of Jesus. The healing works of Jesus. Manifest now. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. The name, the name, the name. The name of Jesus. 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 There's healing in the name of Jesus. Healing in the name of Jesus. Healing in the name of Jesus. Healing in the name, the name, the name, the name of Jesus. There's healing in the name, healing in the name, healing in the name of the Lord. There's healing in the name, healing in the name. Healing in the name of the Lord. There's power in the name. Power in the name. Power in the name of the Lord. There's power in the name. Power in the name. Power in the name of the Lord.
There's healing in the name, healing in the name, healing in the name of the Lord. There's healing in the name, healing in the name, healing in the name of the Lord. Lord, we bless you. We magnify your name. We thank you for healing our bodies. We thank you for the manifested power of God in our flesh. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. No good thing will you withhold to them that love you. No good thing, and healing is a good thing, will you withhold to them that love you to them that reach out in faith, as we have done tonight. No good thing. You said, Lord Jesus, that those that come unto you, you will in no wise cast out. That means those that come to you in faith for healing, you will in no wise cast out. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your healing power. Healing power. Healing mercy in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. The glory cloud starting to come in this room. There's a white mist hanging over your head for those of you that are standing. The glory is here. Your faith, your praise has manifested the glory of God. That's the healing power of God. Oh, Father, thank you for your healing person, your healing mercy, your healing power, your healing goodness. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Say it with me. Thank God. Healing is mine. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 
Well, we had a manifestation of the glory of God tonight in a measure. It's going to get stronger. But we had it in a measure. Don't let the devil talk you out of what you've experienced tonight. Don't let the devil talk you out of the faith that you've exercised. As Brother Hagin used to say, keep the switch of faith turned on. Something happened here tonight, folks. Don't let the devil rob you from it. Hold fast to it. And watch it grow. Watch it change your flesh. Amen. Amen. Well, let's all stand together. It's, I don't know what it feels like for you, but it's hard for me to discern, to, what's the word? Dismiss. Here it is. Dismiss a service like this. Because the presence of God's still here. So let's do this. Rather than make this a place tonight for a lot of fellowship and whatever we might normally do, let's just take the reverence of the Holy Ghost with us. Amen. We love you. We appreciate you. We're standing in agreement for each and every one of you. We believe you're healed. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Thanks for being with us.